Talk Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed is the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places a dive, and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed episode 196 was recorded live sometime in April. Uh, April 10th, 2014. Coming from the southwest corner of Michigan, I would like to welcome you back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jolson. This week joining me, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing fairly well. Thank you very much. I'm enjoying the lack of snow immensely i still saw a few piles still hiding around the edges it, it doesn't want us to forget that it was there you can find it laying about in you know sneaky shady places but uh and that's out of my yard and that's what i care about <laughs> well that's good and also joining us this week we have jim schultz how you doing today jim hey, i'm on the right side of the dirt you're on the right side <laughs> better than the wrong side i'd take it well i'd like to thank everybody who's tuning in uh, apologize for missing last week. I had to go do some traveling for work. You know, work pays the bills, so you got to let them go. And that was one of those. I think this is one of the shortest trips where I've actually had to drive down and back. I was I was barely there 48 hours, and I think most of the time was spent in the car. But back in back in Michigan, getting ready for some good diving season. Well, let's work our way, jump right on into the news. First article we have up is crews are pulling weeds from Truckee, whatever that is. Well, Lake Tahoe is also mentioned, so. If you're in the chat room, we're going to paste the show notes along as we go. And it's actually, appear, chat room appears to be working this week. Yay yes. for the chat room. This is one of those articles I, I couldn't preload because there's some annoying pop-up or something. Let's give it a shot. Maybe, maybe not. I got it. And Reno Gazette Journal. I've got a white page. I've heard of yellow pages, not white pages. <laughs> Here we a go. Feathery water weed migrating down the Truckee River will be target of a new removal effort late this summer as experts work to contain its spread. Eurasian water milfoil. Boy, that sounds familiar. Spreading through the Lake Tahoe for more than 30 years and is now found growing in slow-moving patches of the Truckee River all the way to Pyramid Lake. So look, Darren? Yeah, I got it. This says, uh, this is the first time we're taking removal into the river, according to Kim Boyd, manager of the Lake Tahoe Conservation District, the group that oversees the project. Last month, the authority approved $60,000 to finance a job to help protect the primary water supply of the Reno Sparks area. The project will target a stretch of river where the weed is growing thickly between Lake Tahoe Outlet Dam and Tahoe City in the River Ranch area three miles downstream. They're saying this is an uh, aggressive invader, Eurasian milfoil. Is that what it looks like, Mac? What the photo that's is? That's exactly there? what it looks like. Well, that's nothing new. We've been dealing with that stuff forever. Yeah, uh, that's what we've got going on. We started doing that in uh, Pawpaw Lake in 2007. And pulling it by hand, ain't I cut it. 
You know, I'm curious a lot of that. A lot of that in Magician Lake. It's it's very nasty because it once it gets transmitted to the other water lakes ponds, it'll take it over unless you start to treat it. I mean, does it get to yeah, a point it, where it it will uh, get an equilibrium, or is it just there and clogs everything up? It'll take over. Um, the only thing it doesn't, you know, for a certain depth, you won't have the uh, vegetation because you got to have some light and whatever. But from the shoreline out to 15 feet, it can get really, really, really thick. I know it's a real pain in the butt to swim through. Yeah. Now, is this the same uh, thing that you buy for aquariums? Is that where it came from? I'm not really sure where it came from. Uh, generally speaking, that's where we get a lot of our invasive species, is the, the ones that you didn't flush down the toilet, that you actually let go into the river or to the stream, and it made its way someplace else. Well, hopefully it doesn't make a way any more than it already has, but it's one of those things I don't think there's really a whole lot you can do without major treatment program. Absolutely. And for $60,000, that's uh, hardly a drop in the bucket. Well, especially considering, I'm assuming this is in the Reno, Nevada area. Yeah. And this next one, my gosh, this guy's 70 years old, and he's he's going to do a, a scuba dive. They're calling it a zany stunt. Said many people debate. A debating. zany stunt. A zany, a zany stunt. So... Uh, many people debate long and hard how to celebrate their 70th birthday. Kevin Fuller of Dalton, a retired engineer, decided he was going to do it diving. Uh, there's a photo of him in his scuba gear at 70 feet below the water. This was in the Canaries, one of his favorite, favorite diving spots. He's been diving since 1966 when he saw an advertisement for recruiting drive by the British Subaquatic. He said some people go to football matches as a hobby, but others... Wonder what attracts them. I dive in water all over the place. It's difficult to explain the attraction. And if you remember, we had that article. The guy did 90 at 90 feet. Well, he said if he can do that, then he could do 70 at 70. Absolutely. And, and he couldn't be 70 meters. I just couldn't figure out why it was that big a deal. Well, there really isn't that many older people doing it. You take a look at normal light car dive club. Uh, most of the people are not our age. That's why we're going to call ourselves the geriatric divers. <laughs> I guess so. I'll bet more of our members have AARP cards than those that don't. <laughs> I am quite sure about that. I, I I can only think of maybe two divers, three divers who who probably don't. That's that's really true. Probably. I'm trying to think now. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm holding up one hand. <laughs> yeah, Richard is one of them. Yeah, be Richard, uh, Jim Kleeman, and myself. Yeah, you three. Is Dan Faulkner still in the group? Uh, Dan is, what, 50-something? 50-something. Really? Well, he's, he's oh, a young You can be guy. on AARP at 55. Yeah, they, they, that, that, that I've always, they get you young. Yeah. I, yeah, so. I would dare say, though, if you put everybody's age together, ours would be in the 60s. Yeah. I mean, is that is that a record? Do we, do we need to do some research? Well, if we change our name, we could, we could do it. <laughs> Well, how about this next one? Ecotour spot a pair of oarfish off the Mexican coast. Uh, these fish are rarely seen by humans at all. I think I've only seen a few uh, videos of them, and they're really deep in the water. They're kind of like a narrow fish, kind of look like a knife. And they said it was just bizarre. They said, oh, my God, look at the size of that thing. They're greatly elong elongated and large bony fish that belong to the Regal Sede family. We need a designated pronouncer. I think we need we need to hire somebody. 
Uh, oh, we we like the way you struggle with it. <laughs> yeah, it, what little bit of entertainment? It's kind of well, like I mean, laughing it, when people it, stub their toe. Well, you know how it is. If if the joke doesn't work, the pronunciation does. <laughs> they said we some of these have lots of love though. Yeah, they said some of these species will grow up to thirty six feet in length. They are known to inhabit both temperate and tropical oceans, but human encounters with the species is considered extremely rare. And they actually have a video of it. They're able to record the video to prove what they saw. About 18 feet, and it took a team of 15 people the institute to bring the specimen to shore. Oh, wait, wait. I, I, I skipped. That's uh, They said they found one, a dead one in uh, Tanyan Bay in the Catalina Islands in California. And that one was 18 feet long. It took 15 people to bring it ashore. Didn't we talk about oarfish something about three or four months ago? Yeah. What was the deal on that one? Because the funny part is there's a lady, we had a presentation at the Midland Baptist Church last week uh, for Sportsman's Day. Mm-hmm. And one of the ladies came up to the booth where we were working and was talking about, have we ever seen an oarfish? And the only reason I knew what the heck she was talking about is because we talked about it, you know, not in the, in the recent past. But she was not in Mexico, and I'm trying to remember where she said she saw it at, but it was recent. So she saw it, I mean, she saw it in person, or she saw it on the news? No, saw it in person. Oh, wow. And that's what I thought was when you said this again, well, darn, that's a coincidence. Yeah, wow, Yeah, that would be it would be unusual. Yeah, because uh, this one was just from this week, so you know, she'd have to be a time traveler for this particular particular one. Um, I want to say that was in Asia, the one that because was... You- you, you said the dead one because that was in California. Yeah, and the that live one like, was in Mexico. Yeah, the the dead one was like four days ago, and these are just a few days ago. Huh? Huh? Maybe it's a sign. Are they all saltwater fish? I think so. I think they're saltwater fish, but they they make it in the news a couple times a year. We usually see something pop up about them, but they must get shallow. I mean, because here they are. They're in. I mean, this is only a, maybe a meter or so of water. Yeah, they were talking about something. They're normally deep. There's something about the upwellings, bring them up to the shallows. Hmm. Largest bony fish in the sea. Not really a great marketing campaign for seafood. Yeah, but one fish can feed a flock of people. <laughs> Just got to be good at making fillets. Well, an 18-foot-long Subway sandwich, fish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you could do you could do one one fish for the whole sandwich. Yeah. And how long should you wait for a message to be delivered? I think somebody needs to complain. 100-year-old message in a bottle is found in the Baltic Sea. Last month, a group of fishermen found the floating bottle in the ocean and pulled it on board their ship. The first bottle looked like to be a piece of trash, but when the fishermen examined it, they noticed it had a message inside. The message was written in 1913 by 20-year-old Richard Plaz. Plaz had been taking a walk along Germany's Baltic coast when he decided to put the postcard in a beer bottle and toss it in the ocean. The bottle's been at sea ever since, and nobody ever knew exactly where it traveled before it was found by the fishermen. The writing on the postcard inside the bottle is illegible, but the date reads May 17, 1913. The message in the bottle could be one of the oldest ever found. It was uh, returned to Plez's 62-year-old granddaughter in Berlin. Uh, her name was Angela Erdman. Erdman had never met her grandfather, but was excited to see the bottle and learn the story behind it. Plaz died at the age of 54, and Erdman said the message inspired her to start doing some genealogy work to find out more about her grandfather and family. The bottle and message will be on display at the International Maritime Museum until May 1st, 
experts plan to decipher the message in the postcard and hopefully deliver it to its intended recipient if that person is still alive. Erdman is excited to find out what the message says and who was the intended recipient. Up until this point, the oldest message was one that was found in 2012, and that one had been at sea 98 years. It dated back to 1914. What sea was it found in? Was it found in the Baltic or somewhere else? I, th- I think that's where they said the Baltic. Well, that's where oh found. In. So where did he launch it at? I think the same place. Okay, so it's been in the same place. Yeah, yeah. it just said walk around the German Baltic coast. So yeah. it's been in one place. Yeah, he probably Still, threw what it are in. The chances, it. I guess, what are the chances of actually finding it? Though? That's that's amazing. Well, that's the thing is you have for one thing is you have to decide to pick it up and then you have to look at it. Uh, it makes an interesting story, but yeah. all it's, sorts it's of things. It's not really unusual to find them here in Michigan. Have you I found, found one? one? Oh yeah, I found that. I've also got a balloon with the message. Uh, the bottle one was part of a school project from Wisconsin, and they requested people who found them to return the information of the date, time, and mine was only like maybe a year and a half old. Wow. And then the uh, balloon one, that one was, again, from uh, northern Chicago. That's where they had launched them, and it was uh, found over here. Yeah, I've, I've found a balloon one. Well, it's probably been about 18 years now since we found it. I can't even remember where it was from. My wife sent the, the card back, but it was a school project, like you said. But I think those yep. have fallen out of favor. People don't like the uh, balloons floating around. Yeah, everything's PC now, right? Oh, yeah, you know, it's... <laughs> If somebody came back to life, you know, life <laughs> from 1950, they'd kill themselves. Yeah, I, 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 I hear you there. Yeah, we're not, not even going not, down not to Washington, too. Not their choice, because the government would make sure they're protected <laughs> oh, okay. I, I feel a tangent coming on. <laughs> well, I'm not even going to get into the EPA right now, or land management, or any of that. Uh, or maybe I will later. <laughs> yeah, speaking of that, they'd have, they would probably have a problem with this next one. Old concrete targets become fish habitat. Okaloosa County, they have these concrete targets from the Elgin Air Force Base, which will soon become giant fish habitats in the Gulf. The artificial reef project has been approved by the Department of Environmental Protection. There will be four sites about three miles offshore from Fort Walton Beach. In the center of each site, a pile of rubble will rise 30 feet from the floor in the Gulf, creating a habitat for a large variety of fish. Uh, Coach Mary from Emerald Coast Scuba says having these reefs is going to be a little tropical fish come, so that's really nice for the snorkelers and for the scuba divers to be able to see. And then the larger fish for the fishermen to catch. $160,000 cost will be half paid by state grant with the remaining 80000 coming from bed taxes to work on yeah, the reef project. probably hotel motel tax. Really? Okay. Yeah, bed tax is a, generally a hotel motel tax. Okay. Work on the reef project should begin in the summer. That seems expensive, doesn't it? $160,000? Well, you got to take it offshore. And how many tons of that are they talking? If you're talking yeah, you're... 30-foot pile of concrete rubble? Yeah. Huh. Okay. Makes a ship look like a bargain, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. A little bit more interesting to dive. I mean, I'm okay with these these structures. But the, the thing that just kind of, doesn't it kind of ring a little bit of, crap, we got all this junk to get rid of. What are we going to do with it? Now, is that a, they said these are targets. Is, were these something they would set out in the fields and do target practice on? 
I don't know. I mean, I've never seen anything quite like them. They look a little bit like a, a round disc on a tripod made of concrete. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, okay. Anything else to dive on? It's got to be great, though. I mean, it's like the breakwater out of uh, Michigan, Michigan City. City. Yeah. No, that's not even 30 foot. No. Because that comes up to the surface. So if you went down where it's protected, meaning mm-hmm. the overtop, I think you're going to have a lot of fish on both sides of that. Oh, yeah, Obviously, more on the protected side, though. Yeah. But we know how that works out well for the fish. Oh, the fish love it. All sorts of, all sorts of nooks and crannies. It's, it's a good project. I'm all yeah. for it. Well, I, I like the, the any place where you can give fry a place to go, especially with the lionfish. I don't know. Does that help the, the uh, competing species to survive a little bit, maybe? Oh, I don't know. Because, I mean, a lionfish, they've got to, they can't get into those cracks, so that seems like that would give you a little bit of time to grow up to be something a little bit more difficult to be eaten. Yeah. Well, how about this for a place to eat? In the U.K., they're coming out with their first underwater pub in Cardiff Bay. They said drinkers will be able to sip a pint of brew while admiring the aquatic life in the bay through windows of the Aquanova Bar. And if you take a look at that photo, that's absolutely amazing. Now, that's a... I think it's an art, artist mock-up of it because it doesn't sound like they've started to build it yet. They said the pub is a UK first and will be five meters below the surface, close to the sister pub of Terra Nova. It says Brian's is appealing for volunteers to wear a specially adapted suit and be taken underwater by experts in aquatic pub design. The suit will allow the wearer to drink beer while underwater, testing for any changes of taste. Is this a, what date was this published? Hmm. Uh, guess what, April 1st. I think this is a. I think this is a. Could be. I think this is a fake article. Think so? I don't know. That just seemed to be a well, little. Well, at least the artist impression is interesting. Yeah, it was a good photo. But uh, in those tunnels, you know, and just decorate it like that, you can make a bar down there. Yeah, I mean, it'd be pretty. I mean, this is a way to do it. But uh, yeah, I, 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 I think the surface bar is doing it. I mean, right there, there's the giveaway. He's appealing for volunteers to wear adapted suits and be taken underwater by experts in aquatic pub design. Underwater testing for any changes in taste, consistency, and texture. (laughs) Uh, Good one. Well, as many of the items as we have seen for living underwater, sleeping underwater at a resort, or some of the uh, grandiose plans for above and below the surface, that seems very logical. Yeah. Well, and the thing difference is, is that those, they want to take your money. <laughs> so they'll, they'll take your money to, to help build it. And if it doesn't happen, oh, well. But, uh, yeah, there it is. If you look at yeah. the footnote in the bottom, they said, yep, this is April Fool's. So uh, we were one of a victim. And there's about eight or nine articles I had to, uh, during those few days, almost post and not post. But this next one doesn't appear to be an April Fool's joke. Will Goodman sets a new closed-circuit rebreather depth record. Out of the U.K., he descended to 290 meters on a JJCCR rebreather. Oh, looks like we lost. Did we lose everybody? I think we just lost Jim. Let's get him back. 290 meters? That is absolutely deep. So 290. So what does that come out to be? About 800. Almost 900 and some odd feet plus. Yeah. Yeah, 900 feet. Wow. That's insane. And you had to have support people. They said 10-degree water, so, uh, I mean, that's a little bit warmer than what we get typically here, especially at that depth. Well, obviously, and they're talking 10-degree Celsius. Yes. You know, 
But then again, I said, 10 degrees Celsius, what the heck is that anyway? Oh, you're going to make me look up. Uh, okay. uh, 18 plus 32. Well, zero is? 18 plus 32. Okay. 50. So it's... Uh, 45, approximately 45 degrees? Yeah. Yeah, it's balmy. Okay. Let's see what else they say about it. Uh, all computers and depth gauges got stuck I at 290 like meters. Said he said, I had a high narcosis due to the nitrogen levels in my breathing mix. He had HPNS whole body tremors, and the amount of the helium in the mix contributed to a rapid descent rate. My hand started shaking on and on ascent. I wondered if I would make it back. I began to lose my motor function. I can't thank my team enough for this amazing opportunity and all their hard work. It's not recognized by Guinness as a world record since they don't have a category for the event. Uh, he's been in, uh, inundated with well wishes and congratulations from professionals in the diving community. He had previously smashed the world record of 283 set by Christoph Stanwiski. Wow, that that takes a lot of support to be able to do. Be interesting to see the. I was going to say I was looking at that, and the picture the picture I have doesn't show all the support. It said pictured left to right, and there's a whole bunch of people, and the only picture I see doesn't have that. So, do you see other pictures? Um, I didn't on this no, one, but I did one. on I did on another website when I originally looked at it. There's a link there. I think there's a press release that you can go and look at, and I bet that might have some. Okay, here if I if I don't break the connection here. Well, it said on March 26, 2014, this is press release, following a year's training and preparation. Yeah, and he, he's he's done this many times before. Not exactly yeah. to this depth, but he's been known to be a little bit on the, I'm not going to let this whole thing load, uh, uh, risk-taking side. Wow. I, but that just is, I mean, 100 meters is deep. I mean, 100 meters is, is, is 300 feet. He yeah. surfaced after. And they after, know they went past. Nine or 300 meters. Yeah. So he surfaced after nine hours and 57 minutes. Now, when they say, well, the esophenic, phenomatic signs of decompression, illness, and or dehydration. You almost need a nurse or a doctor to explain all these terms they've used in here. Now, was, that, was he closed circuit the whole time? I mean, would he have had two or three rigs that he was changing out? Or did he just have it a didn't ex- sound like it. extremely it like big... The whole time. Well, in the same unit, though? I mean, would a scrubber bed last that long? I guess you could stack them up. Well, I'm, I'm willing to bet he had stage bottles the whole way. Yeah, because the rebreather, you're, scrub, you're scrubbing. You still have to add in oxygen and other gases. Wow. It'd be nice to see a little bit more of a story on that. Yeah, I, I, that's, just, that's one I, I don't think I'm ever going to begin to approach that amount. So. Great to him for being able to achieve it. Let's, yeah. let's see if I can get this next one to load. I thought I had it preloaded, and it is missing. Right here in our own backyard, and it's about the time of year we see this. Seems like every year somewhere up and down the coast we'll have one of these bone wrecks start to be exposed. This time it's one up in Leelanau County in Michigan, up there near Traverse City. The only issue I have here is shipwreck discovered on all that means is nobody in the last 10 or 20 years remembers it, and it was there again because it just doesn't suddenly appear and disappear. No, no, that's you know that's, what I'm saying is yeah. In the mid 1800s, that part of the beach has been discovered before, and if it was so critical, why didn't somebody take care of it 80 years ago? Because it wasn't. Come on, website. Are you still there? 
Yeah, I'm still here. I'm just watching the browser take forever to to load up. They seem. I, I say the last three or four months, the internet has really been complete crap. Well, it's a piece of trash. But you got a little item here. It's illegal to touch this shipwreck or tamper with it, so you can't go up and touch it. Well, I think, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I, I think that they're that's what they want you to believe, because wasn't it they had a court ruling in the last six months where if it is outside the water, it's not protected under the pres- the preserve law. Embedded, it's part. It's got to be embedded. Definitely embedded. Well, it's, it's well if it's, and I think they changed the law to help. If it's above the high water mark on private property, the state. well, the state claims anything. All can day. you guys hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. I don't know. You can't. You might not be hearing us. Yeah, if it's above the high water mark, if it's above the high water mark and on yeah, Jim, private you're, property, you're jumping in and out occasionally. I get that property from you all of a sudden. Belongs to the property owner. So it belongs to the property owner if it's above the high water mark. Correct. But if it's a situation where it's both above and below the high water mark, then the state claims ownership. All a matter of perspective. And if you look at the video on this, part of it is in water. So Now, do they have any idea what it is? I'm sure somebody knows. There's got to be some documentation saying that this ship got covered at this. At, now, at this point, they, there was no identification tied with it. We'll have to get a hold of Ross and... Ross Richardson, see what he's got on it. Yeah, that's right. He, hit, and his he works that Manitou Passage quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Those are some big ribs there. Yeah, I can tell it's real valuable. Well, Mac, you went flying this week. Did you see anything new? Jim, you're breaking up there. I couldn't tell. I couldn't hear what he, you he said. Was at, Mac, he was asking if you, since you've been flying this week, if you saw anything new. And you're breaking up because I'm not hearing you either now. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear you fine. What he asked is if you've been yeah. flying this week, if yeah. you saw anything new. Uh, I did see two items floating uh, the other day. Uh was not going to go down low enough because it was too bumpy. One could have been a very large log. It was a single piece, and one was maybe half as big. Uh, one was up in the area, uh, and the second one was down towards the bluff that has the cars in it. Uh-huh. So it's up from Grand Mere, but uh, other than that, nothing. I also went up looking for the Green Bay, since that one is half inshore and half in the bluff. Could not see any of the ribs, and you used to could. The other one looked just like that one. It went from the bluff all the way out into the water, mm-hmm. and uh, none of that was visible today or the other day. Now, do we have any ice in the Great in Lake Michigan, or is that pretty much all gone now? How's how's the ice doing on Lake Michigan, Mac? Is that still there? Uh, it's sporadic on the shore. You get up to South Haven, past Palisades, uh, the ice was still out probably a mile. Uh, other than that, you had sections that you could actually get to the beach, look pretty nice, and other sections that still had a barrier of ice. You, start, you know, you're talking about some shipwrecks uh, that the harsh winter has unraveled. If you look up Dave Tournament on Facebook, yeah, he's got some good links from Travis City, and they look surprisingly like what we're looking at now, only more of on an angle. He's got another one that's called the Shipwreck L.L. Barth, and that was from Kevin Ailes, also a club member. 
And that looks like kind of stuff that we find up in Sheboygan. It almost looks like part of a, a pier or a, or a seawall, but it's actually a shipwreck site. Mm-hmm. And if you look at on, on the Facebook part on Kevin's, you'll see additional items, which remind me of the ones they found up north that Valerie and them talked about, uh, you know, the lost ships yeah. last year. Yeah. Meaning, if they were so valuable, they would not have just left them on the shore and let them sink. But well, now, because, and it, you look at it, there's nothing to salvage. No. There's nothing artistic or interesting about it other than, wow, that was a ship. Well, and, and we've talked and about it before. it will be that way and for another couple of freeze-thaw cycles, and it will be totally gone. Yeah, and we've talked about before. That's how marina owners and boat owners dealt with the ships that they didn't want anymore. What you do is you kind of in in unofficially mothballed it, absolutely parked it off. If for any reason you needed a part, you just took a skiff out there and took what you needed off your your old vessel, and it just sat there and sank in the bottom until the weeds got taller than the than the ship. And you know sometimes they'd be floating, sometimes they'd eventually sink. Absolutely, uh, yeah, and yeah, I I know firsthand of. Yeah, right, right there in Sagatuck. And what's interesting is growing and up the same around thing with the ships you're going to find in the ships we're going to find where did we lose you, Mac? I hear occasionally you you're there and then you're gone. So <laughs> yeah, I was just you, you you said something about that's uh, something that we occasionally I hear find you both well now right now. But yeah, it's, it's like it's selectively. Right now, it like well. gives gives my audio to Mac and then Mac's to Jim, and uh, I don't think any of us hear everything. Uh, maybe this is the advertisement for Skype for their new podcasting service so you know right now i pay a few dollars a month for the landline connection to skype and I, i'm sure they'll they'll add about two zeros to the end of it to charge us for the podcasting version thank you microsoft screw something up and then charge for it well, well we still have a connection maybe before microsoft gets mad at me uh anybody get any diving in has anybody gotten any diving in I know you're out there. Not this past week. I was. I walked out to the lake this uh, actually this evening to watch the sun set on the inland lakes, and was uh, reminding myself and amazed at just how clear it is right now. So I'm saying to myself, why am I not getting in these lakes now when it's crystal clear and there's not a boat around? Oh yeah. So I'm ready to. You're just still breaking up, Jim. Yeah, I I could hear you, Jim. I think it will come out in the recording. Yeah, Mac, I, I've, I've, for whatever reason, your connection is really bad. I'm seeing you drop off. Oh, yeah. Of course we do tons of editing. So hopefully I'll get out and we'll get some uh, dive time in. I know some of the guys are planning to hit the big lake around the pier heads Sunday at noon. Yeah. But this is Palm Sunday, so I don't think I'll be out of church by then. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I, I'm, I'm going to be out of town, so I don't think I'm going to be able to make it. But uh, I would absolutely love to uh, get some early dives in. Uh, I did get a chance to. I think you ought to just. Go ahead. Why, why don't you just take. Why don't I. Aaron, I was going to say, why don't you just take uh, some time off tomorrow afternoon and come out and we'll get wet and magician. <laughs> oh, that'd be fun. I don't. I don't think I can. Swing something tomorrow, but I, I need to. I need to uh, look at my calendar. I need to, to to at least take one one day off a month and get a dive in during the week. Yeah, Max Max saying that with the the water action, that the visibility is going to be garbage. Uh, 
Now, I did get a call from Bob a couple weeks ago, and we didn't get a chance to talk about this, but he was adding a he's, – he's changing his console. So if you've followed the podcast and looked on the website and seen Bob's boat, he's got a red Zodiac. I'm going to say it's about 21, 22 feet long uh, with an outboard on it. And he had uh, – I don't know what you call that seat. You kind of straddle it almost like a, a jet ski. And that was mounted in the center of his Zodiac. Uh, and a couple of years ago, he had added a seat to the back. And what he wanted to do was get a stand-up seat, you know, kind of one of those poles that you can lean against in a new console. So we worked on that. We, you know, we, we ripped it out. I, I posted some photos. So if you were following me on Twitter, you got to see the mess of wires. How a little Zodiac with an outboard motor can have that many wires, I do not know. There had to have been 100 wires in that console. And then we had to go around and remaneuver all those cables. So you have your drive cables for your outboard. You had the, uh, you know, the throttle cable. Uh, you had all the wiring. And one way we achieved this on his boat, it's a, it's a rib, so it's a rigid hull inflatable. Uh, we did take the uh, sawzall to it, do a little bit of fiberglass cutting, uh, cheated a little bit, but everything's got moved over from what I understand. The only thing is that we did have the, uh, the control throttle mechanism apart and uh, even though it's back together and operating, it needs a little bit of fine-tuning. And I think it's because we rerouted those cables. You ch- it kind of slightly changes that diameter by routing it a little bit different in the bottom of the boat. So it's going back to the marina for fine-tuning. But after that, uh, we, have, we should have a freshly modified Zodiac able to get out in the lake here pretty soon. So I saw, Jim, you are mentioning that you're uh, going to do Magician Lake tomorrow maybe? I'm sorry, you were breaking up real bad. I, I was I was asking if you, you sounds like you're going to do Magician Lake tomorrow. I'm seriously thinking about it. Ah, oh, that'd be that that'd be great. I I don't think I could make it. Now I've got my gear. I, I've re-maneuvered vehicles to the summer situation, so I've got my pickup is all preloaded with dive gear. Tanks are full and ready to go. So you know, there's, there's you, you never know. The the truck could get a little lost and take a turn and have to get a dive in. I'm, uh, why don't we try and reconnect? I'm going to shut this down and we'll try it again. Hold on. Okay, well, we're getting to that time of the show. I'd like to thank everybody who's listening. You can always find out more about what we got going on, www.scubaobsessed.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash scubaobsessed. We're on Google Plus, plus scubaobsessed, on Twitter at scubaobsessed, and I've been playing around with Pinterest. And I didn't quite get that before, but heck, it's kind of been a little bit handy for me to keep track of stuff. Got some home projects I'm working on and been doing a bunch of pinning, I guess, is the correct vernacular for for Pinterest. Uh, Also, we are on the WRVO radio, Rich Viala's network. You can listen to us and other outdoor-related podcasts. If you're into fishing, hunting, camping, or any of those sorts of activities... That's something you need to turn on to. Uh, you can listen to that on, uh, I believe, the website is uh, wrvoradio.com or www.renoviola.viola. I'm going uh, I'm, to I'm slaughter that every time, which why should be any different than any other name. So R-E-N-O-V-I-O-L-A outdoors.com for your outdoor programming podcasts. So are you ready, Mac? 
I am sitting here on pendant needles. Okay. So here we go. A scuba diver was sitting at a bar looking at three small brown pellets he had in his hand. A bartender asked what they were. The diver replied, they're brain pills. They make you smart. The, bi- the bartender says excitedly, give me one. He snatches one from the diver's hand and gulps it down quickly with water. A few minutes later, he comes back over the diver and says, you know, I don't really feel any smarter. You probably didn't take enough, says the, uh, the diver. So the bartender quickly grabs another one and gulps it down. Half an hour later, the bartender asks for the third pill. This one he looks at a little bit more care. He sniffs it, tastes it slowly, says, why, this is nothing more than sheet manure. See, says the scuba diver, you're smarter already. <laughs> yeah. At least we're not going to have an X on that one. No, no, that, that one was... As X-rated. That one was, was fairly clean. We, the X-rated ones were letting... We're letting age a little bit, you know. Maybe we'll just be like two and a half or or something. But uh, thank you for tuning in. Uh, uh-huh. Jim had to jump there at the end, so he didn't follow, uh, make it all the way to the end through some of the internet challenges we had. But until next week, I'd say let's go out there and get wet and stay safe, people. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>